Good evening. Uh, it's been such a, a wonderful evening hearing these stories from these missionaries. And I'm just so grateful to be here with you as well to share God's word. Um, on behalf of Mission of the World, thank you so, so very much for your longstanding partnership um, with Mission of the World, with our missionaries, with the work of God and his kingdom throughout the world. Um, I am married. I, my wife, I wish she was here. She wished she, she could be here, and so she sends her regrets. Um, and I do have three lovely kids, so you can talk to me about them later. But tonight, tonight we get to look at God's word, and so if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Tonight we're going to reflect on our kingdom identity. 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. Uh, this is God's very own word. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand these words that you have before us. Holy Spirit, help, help me to speak uh, in your power the words that you have for us tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, I was talking with the daughter of a family friend. Uh, their family lives in Illinois. I think she was in elementary school, maybe in sixth grade at the time. And uh, she, was, she was explaining how hard it was to be a Christian in her school. Uh, she said that they're not allowed to pray, which wasn't a big surprise to me, but she said even when they were in the cafeteria before a meal. In fact, one of her friends prayed before the meal, and a teacher came over and, and told her, you do that again, and you're going to detention. You believe that's happening here in our, our own country? She went on to say, uh, when they say the Pledge of Allegiance, they're not allowed to say the word God. In fact, when it, it comes to that phrase, one nation under God, they're supposed to say beep, as if God's name is a curse word. You think I'm making this up? I'm not. This is happening here in our own country. So what happens when it's no longer safe to be associated with Jesus Christ? What happens when the name of God becomes a curse word? Well, we who, who live in this context, we need to make some choices. We need to make some choices that, that may cost us something to be associated with Jesus. Choices perhaps the generation before never even had to make. But here's the thing. I think, quite honestly, most of us are completely unprepared to live in a context that is hostile towards believers. 
And yet this is how most Christians across the world live every single day. So how are we going to engage then in this great commission, both across the street and around the world, in a culture that wants to silence us? Well, in our passage today, um, the Apostle Peter, he, he talks about this. And we'll see that uh, as we reflect on these words, the kingdom identity that it describes leads first and foremost to gospel confidence. Second, gospel humility. Uh, and finally, to gospel purpose. So the Apostle Peter was actually speaking to Christians living in a very anti-Christian context. And as you can imagine, uh, believers at the time in the early church were, were, were an easy target for blame, uh, for discrimination, for prejudice. And I don't think we should underestimate the kind of social hostility that we feel when we're a minority, living in a majority context. I know that's not the situation here in the United States yet. Um, but it's, let's think about it a little bit. If you're a minority and you live in a majority context, you tend to respond in one of two ways. Uh, the first is to try and fit in. Try not to rock the boat. Try to be like everyone else. The second, though, is to respond to the hostility that you feel with what? With hostility. You, you walk around uh, with a chip on your shoulder, so to speak. Uh, and so I don't think we should underestimate the social pressure, even though it's not uh, yet um, institutional, the social pressure that we feel where we're reminded every day that we're different. Different from the larger culture, different from the majority. Uh, as mentioned before, we had the privilege of serving in Asia, Southeast Asia, Cambodia specifically as missionaries for about uh, seven years, and um, we were on a team, and the team uh, had folks from all, all over the United States, and there was a, a young Caucasian uh, woman from Alabama who was on our team, never lived in Asia, first time she's ever lived in um, outside of the country, and um, when she got there, she was saying, uh, it's so hard. It's so hard to live here. Uh, every day she walks out of her house. And uh, the kids start yelling at her, hello, hello, teacher, teacher. Uh, they, she tries to speak their language, uh, Kamai, and, and they just giggle and they laugh. And uh, every day she, she walks out of the house and she's reminded how different she is from everyone else. And yet she wants so much to be accepted uh, by them. Uh, she, she kept saying to me, Lloyd, you don't understand, you're Asian. Uh, you don't know what it feels like to always be different. I, I kind of smiled at this uh, conversation, at the irony of it all, and I, then I reminded her, you know, I, I grew up in the United States, right? <laughs> anyway, um, what happens when we really want to be accepted by the majority? Or perhaps we, we don't want to be treated differently? Well, we begin to forget who we are. We begin to adopt and accept the norms, the values, the standards of the majority. 
Now, it's one thing to try and be accepted by your host country and culture as a missionary. It's another thing to try and be accepted by the world, right, as a follower of Jesus. Sometimes things may get blurred. Our values get blurred, our norms, our ethics. Living in a context where you're a Christian minority can be very difficult. The temptation to be like the majority, like everyone else, is great if for no other reason to avoid ridicule. And so I don't think we can underestimate the social pressure that we feel to keep silent about our faith, to keep silent about our identity as followers of Jesus. What are we keeping silent about? Matters of eternal consequence, right? So how does Peter address this? He reminds us of who we are as God's people. What does he say? He says, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession. Peter speaks to us who just want to fit in, who don't want to rock the boat, who don't want to, to make enemies. And he says, remember who you are. You belong to him. And you see, when he does it, it's not just an individual thing, it's a, it's a collective thing, it's a community thing. He wants us to recognize that we belong to a new community. We have been chosen to be a part of something beautiful, wonderful. And this is what gives us a sense of privilege, the sense of honor, status, and also responsibility. When I was about 10 years old, uh, that's when you're in the fourth grade, um, all of a sudden the uh, fourth grade soap operas began. Uh, do you remember that time in your life? Some of you, maybe? Uh, all of a sudden kids started liking other kids. Uh, recess, big event, finding out who was boyfriend, girlfriend with whom. Uh, on one eventful day, the most popular girl in fourth grade was deliberating between these two boys, Danny or Kevin, right? Two boys, one girl. What do you expect to see? A fight, right? So that's why we were all gathered. It was recess. The whole fourth grade class was out there waiting to see who she would choose, Danny or Kevin. But these boys in fourth grade, I couldn't believe it. They're so mature and smart. They just turned to her and they said, you know what? Just pick. Just pick one of us. You have to choose. And I thought it was so silly. I I sloughed off into the shade, uh, you know, kind of disappointed there would be no, um, uh, well, you know. So I was there in the shade, and, and uh, everyone was watching. Who would she choose? Danny, Kevin, Danny, Kevin. She turns and looks at me on the bench in the shade and says, I choose Lloyd. Lloyd's going to be my boyfriend. I thought she was joking. She walks over, she grabs my arm, and the crowd hummed at this dramatic turn of events. How does it feel to be chosen? It feels great, right? My stock went up that day. Here's the thing, beloved. God wants to tell us that he chose, he chose us as unlikely candidates 
that we are. He chose us. It's not a joke. And so now we belong to him. He accepts us. And he gives us value, and he gives us significance, and he gives us honor, right? He gives us satisfaction. Reminding ourselves of our identity helps us to cope with the pressures that we feel. Accommodating to the practices, the thoughts, the patterns of this age and this life. These things that perhaps we used to do without conscience, as Peter says later in this chapter, former passions. You see, it's our identity as God's precious chosen people that should give us boldness, confidence, not only to withstand the pressure uh, of this age, but actually to be ambassadors sharing and showing the light of Jesus to a hostile environment. Okay. There is, of course, the other response, is there not? What is that? When we feel the pressure, we feel the, the, the oppression uh, of the world, um, well, the other response is hostility, anger, bitterness, right? Instead of trying to be accepted by the majority, we, um, we respond to the hatred we feel with with hatred. We respond to the slander that that we have as believers in this country with what? Slander. We use the same ethics the world is using against us back at it. But you see, when we respond in this way, we're no different from whom? The world. The distinctions between those who oppress and those who are oppressed becomes blurred. In chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, Peter tells us, keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, not only when they speak well of you, but when they speak what? Evil. Against us. Now I'll be first to admit that it's not as easy as it sounds. In general, I'd say I I don't get angry very easily, but one thing that almost always gets my blood boiling is is when I feel like I'm being ripped off. You know what I mean? For me, it's it's not so much the money, but it's that that feeling of being deceived, right? Being taken advantage of. Uh, While we were living in Cambodia early on, uh, we were so grateful that we were able to get this old used uh, Toyota Sienna, and um, in our neighborhood, there was this car wash place where they wash cars. I was thinking, this is great. Place I could go, get to know the, the people there, uh, perhaps, you know, eventually share the gospel with the folks. And so I, I pull into this, this car wash, and people from all, I don't know how many work, they just came and started washing my car. I'm like, this is great service. They opened the hood, they're washing inside where the engine was. I'm like, this never happens in the U.S. This is awesome. Uh, when they finished, one of the workers called me over, and he um, he, he pointed to a, a, a place where, you know, the hood was still open. He pointed, he said, looks like you're missing a cap. And I was thinking, that's funny. I, th- I thought it was there before I got here. He goes, don't worry, don't worry. I have one that'll fit it perfectly. And I'll sell it to you for a very good price. I'm like, sure, let me see it. So he goes off to get this thing. I'm like, this is a miracle, right? He has the exact cap that I'm missing. There was only like three of these cars in the whole country. It's a miracle, right? It wasn't a miracle. It was a scam. 
And when it finally dawned on me, I got so angry, so upset. I called the owner over and I told him the whole thing, trying to explain this, this, this situation. I was thinking, I am never coming back here. I'm going to tell all my friends, never come to this place, forgetting the whole reason why I came. Share, share the gospel with these folks. To those of us who are hostile to the world, angry and, and bitter uh, about those who oppress us, who ridicule us, Peter also reminds us of who we are. He says, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession. He wants us to know that our identity as God's people should be reflected in how we respond to those who hate us, those who slander us, those who seek to take advantage of us. There's no doubt that we have and will experience those things here in this life, but our Lord is calling us to respond with grace. You're thinking, how is it even possible to respond to this hostile world with grace and humility? It's only possible, well, when we come to realize how much grace we've received. Who, who wrote this epistle? Peter, right? Remember his life? Peter was the one who boasted that if all the other disciples abandon you, Jesus, I will not. In fact, I am willing to even, what? Die for you, Jesus. And yet in the courtyard of the high priest, what happened? You know the story. The Gospel of Luke describes the scene. Jesus is being interrogated by the authorities, and Peter is there in the courtyard, and, and um, after he denies Jesus the third time, the rooster crows, and Jesus turns his head, and Peter sees Jesus, and their eyes lock, and Peter remembers what Jesus said, and all the shame, and all the, the guilt, and all the remorse fill Peter's heart, and he weeps, and he runs as far and as fast as he can away from Jesus. But you see, Jesus doesn't leave him. Jesus finds Peter after the resurrection. He finds Peter and he forgives Peter. And he restores Peter. And then he commissions Peter to be what? His under-shepherd. Peter knows what it means to receive grace floods and fills all of his writings, and he's telling us here, bathe yourself in this grace. He says, you were once not God's people, but now you are God's people. You were those once living in darkness, but now you've been called to his glorious light. You... You were once those who didn't receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are to see our lives just like Peter. Because those who understand how much grace they've received, how much love that 
the Father has given us in His Son, but then we're able to forgive. Then we're able to express grace and charity and humility. It is this grace that fills us with gospel humility. So gospel confidence, we talked about that. Gospel humility, we talked about that. Finally, what about our gospel purpose? When we understand who we are, well, then we begin to live out God's purpose for us. And what is the purpose that God has given us who have been called? Well, he says right here, Peter says that this new identity that we have in Jesus is for the purpose of what? Declaring the excellencies of him who has called us from darkness into his marvelous light. And so you see, the reason that God chose us, the reason that he saved us, the reason that he called us, redeemed us, is to declare to the world how great, how excellent he is. No, we've heard this before. It was already mentioned that we exist to glorify God. It's our chief end. Here in Scripture, it makes it so abundantly clear. We don't exist to please other men, other women. We don't exist to please ourselves. We exist for Him. And ironically, it is when we live out this purpose that we are the most fulfilled, the most satisfied, and the most content. Uh, when I was a college student, I actually started uh, studying engineering, if you could believe that. And um, I was asking myself these questions because it was during those years, as is often uh, the case, where God was doing a lot of work in my own heart and my own life, radical transformation of grace. And um, I was wondering, Lord, do you, do you really want me to be an engineer? Is there perhaps something else? And, and a friend of mine uh, would actually... Um, in between classes, go out. Uh, I went to school in the Bay Area. It was, it was near San Francisco. And so we would, we would go to the BART station, the metro station. And I'd bring my guitar, and, and he'd stand up there. And we would just sing these, these crazy praise songs. And it would have been wonderful if we could actually hold a tune. But it was really awful. And someone gave us change, and I think it was to tell us to stop. But maybe because they were encouraged, and I don't know. But we went out on those trains, and... Uh, um, we just shared our faith to anyone who would listen to us. This is San Francisco. And um, not a single person came to faith, right? But I'll tell you what, there was this excitement. There was this exhilaration that, that somehow God was smiling upon us as we, we went out to tell people how great our God is. You know, the point is not that being an engineer is somehow less godly or less spiritual, but, but simply that when we realize what we we're created to do, we experience this incredible sense of satisfaction and joy and purpose. And here Peter is telling us that we have been redeemed. We've been born again in order to declare the excellencies of our great God. You see, when we do this, we will, we will experience satisfaction and joy and purpose in life. And maybe you're saying, well, what does this even mean practically? It's as simple as telling your story, telling your gospel story to another person. 
telling others of how great God is. And by extension, by supporting and praying for those who are going, declaring the excellencies of God across the world. And so you see, if we define our life purpose in this verse to declare the excellencies of him who has called us from darkness into his marvelous light, then we become free not to follow the the dreams and the practices of this world, what it says you need, but we become free to, to think not as the world, but as those who belong to the kingdom. We are free to begin praying about investing in those places where there is only darkness and the light of Jesus has not yet shone. We are freed to, to plan, to dream, to embark on adventures that we would have never thought possible before as our brother encouraged to be uncomfortable for Jesus. How about you tonight? about you tonight? Is God calling you to declare his excellencies to a people who have not yet had a chance to hear the good news? Whether that's across the street or whether that's around the world. Is God calling you to pray? Is God calling you to support? What happens when it's no longer safe to be associated with Jesus? God's people gather together and we worship. We remind ourselves in our worship of who we are. You see, it's this identity that we have as his people that gives us not only boldness and confidence to live in this world, but deep humility as we stand before our God. Peter says, you are a chosen race. You are. And you are a royal priesthood. You are. You are a holy nation. You are. And you are a people for his own possession. You are. He reminds us of who we are that we might declare his excellencies to a world still living in darkness. May that be our challenge tonight. Let's pray. Father, I I am amazed again and again that you would choose us, choose me, Father, I pray it would not be lost on any of us the great privilege and honor and status that we have to be citizens of your kingdom. I pray that we would be so secure in our identity that what would overflow is just a sweet, beautiful aroma of Jesus here in this community and across the world. Continue to challenge us, Lord, to live more and more for your kingdom and less and less for ours. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.